0: This is Mike Van Meter, and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast, and I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com, and this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those who are still suffering from addiction, and this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. So take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. So folks, today I want to introduce you to a friend of mine that I met in the graduate program that I'm in right now, and and I'm working on a, another degree in addictions and co-occurring disorders and working towards licensure as a, as a therapist. And um, in this program, I'm meeting all kinds of wonderful people, Fantastic people, and uh, today's guest is one of those folks that I want to introduce you to, and uh, he is someone that has been in my cohort. And it turned out that uh, you know it, we 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 do weekly meetings, uh, Zoom meetings, and I found someone that had a law enforcement background, and I immediately lit up because there aren't many people that come into this field with my kind of background. Uh, It's a very different sort of clientele that come into this program. But this, uh, this young man came in, and he has a law enforcement background, and I thought, well, look, I got somebody like me, and you know we've we've struck up a relationship, and I, I consider him a good friend now, and asked him to come on to the program and talk about his experience, strength, and hope as it relates to addiction, and uh, his name is Brian Greniman, and he's down in Florida, and I wanted to introduce him to all of you, and he can give you his message <clears throat> when it came to his background and where he is at today, because if he and I can do it, you can do it. And I just wanted to share his story with you. So with that, Brian, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Mike. And uh, thanks, uh, listeners. Appreciate having the opportunity to, uh, to share my story. Honestly, um, I can take very little credit for it because um, it's much more of a victory of 12-step programs and, uh, and me just getting out of my own way. But, uh, so as, uh, as Mike had shared, my background is in law enforcement. I've got kind of a long story, but, um, that is basically where I'd like to focus on it. Um, I started drinking in college and, um, I entered my law enforcement career in my uh, early twenties, I think I was 22 or 23 and, um, you know as we know that addiction is a progressive illness um it was very quickly promoted uh through ranks of police investigator and uh, sergeant which is a first line supervisor um my alcoholism had also progressed uh, just about as quickly and um so uh some 12 step literature refers to someone in active addiction as like a Jekyll and Hyde. And that was, um, that is definitely part of my story was that my, my identity as a police officer was, um, always adherence to the law and, uh, always doing what's right. And, um, and there was no, no getting away from that. Um, but my personal life, I found that I was a very, very different person just because I was so self-centered. And um, I can recall taking a personality test at one point and having a difficult time with this personality test because I was like, is this – which one are we talking about? Like the law enforcement identity or this person who I am in my personal life? and um, so uh, let's see here. Yeah, the uh, the alcoholism had progressed pretty quickly. Um, I was a seven day drinker, and uh, law enforcement usually works like twelve hour shifts. Um, so on days off, uh, I would drink a lot more, and uh, on days that I would work, I had kind of found this like scientific calculation. Of how many drinks was I able to have and still keep my breath alcohol, um, you know, should be approximately around zero when I'm going into my shift uh, the next day. Um, thankfully, I um, I can you know by the grace of God I can say that I never reached a point of of needing to drink while I was uh, on the job, but certainly. Um, this scientific formula that I had, you know, calculated, it became not enough, and um, I had no peace in my personal life. Um, I I was highly, highly anxious, and uh, I wasn't able to sleep. And so, that was a, a big theme of something that had kind of, launched the drinking was just this this looking for relief. Right. You know, I think it goes all the way back to college that I can remember starting a pattern of going into a bar first and having a few shots before an exam because it would take away the test anxiety. And then I could think more clearly. And, um, you know, to this day, I think that I'm still um, somewhat an anxious person but I've learned a lot of the tools in recovery to stay several steps ahead of that anxiety so that it's not, um, debilitating. Um, I would absolutely, you know, in this program, this, uh, master's program, we learn about all the disorders and yeah, i I definitely score high on anxiety, but, um, there's definitely a spiritual solution. And, uh, for, for someone like me who, at some point probably would have identified somewhere between atheist and agnostic to, to be where I'm at now. It's just, uh, as you said, if, if, if someone like me can do it, there's absolutely hope for everybody. So getting into um, how my departure from law enforcement worked out, I was the subject of an internal affairs investigation um, from an event that had happened in like 2015. At that point, I was a, uh, just a police officer on the street. Um, I hadn't been promoted to detective or any of that stuff yet. And uh, my supervisor, my sergeant, was having an affair with um, a young lady in the community, and uh, it, as you can imagine, it got pretty messy. Um, and it went on for several years. And um, I really just tried to stay out of it. That I knew that this was going on, and I wanted to have no part in it. You know. If an administrator pulls me in and asks me some uncomfortable questions, I'm gonna be honest about what I know, but I'm also not gonna go out of my way to try to you know, stir the pot for anybody or anything like that. Um, several years down the road, uh, this had turned into a, a really, really ugly internal affairs investigation. Several police officers uh, were fired for having sex on duty with this girl and I had been tied into this whole thing that there was text messages that showed that I had knowledge of this and I did not come forward and um, so I was uh, made ineligible for promotion um, a handful of, uh, of minor disciplinary things I think the chief was able to look at the whole situation and see that that was a pretty precarious situation to be in um, to make an accusation against my supervisor, um, nonetheless, um, uh, so we've got a ton of active alcoholism going on in the background of all of that. And, um, I will fast forward to, um, some of this stuff had resurfaced like three or four years after the fact, because, uh, this young woman that was involved in this thing, um, had sued the police department. And so it was getting a ton of media um, coverage and a brand new chief had just come in and uh, she made it very clear. I don't know you from Adam, but I want you gone. It doesn't matter that this old internal affairs investigation is over with. The fact that I keep reading your name in the paper, like we need you out because you are bad PR um at the same point my uh battle with alcoholism had gotten to the point that uh that I had finally was starting to get to that that point of readiness now i went to 12 step meetings pretty regularly for about 15 months before this point and um i nothing was going to get in the way of me drinking um I hadn't lost enough at that point. Uh, there wasn't really much readiness. I knew that it was killing me. Um, my blood pressure was pretty regularly about 190 over 110. I was on three different blood pressure meds. My pulse was my resting pulse was like 105. I was in mm-hmm. constant pain with um, you know my organs. You know, just there's there's no question that at the rate that I was drinking and, and where I was going. I was going to die, uh, well before 50, if, if even maybe before 40. And I was completely okay with this. Um, because that's what addiction does to us is that I didn't care if I lost everything. I didn't care if I lost my family. I didn't care if I lost my career. I didn't care if I was homeless living under a bridge as long as I had a bottle and, um, and then nobody was going to tell me any different. And, uh, when I went to, 12-step meetings and would read things on the wall about God and surrender, I was like, well, <laughs> I, it, apparently the only solution must be suicide then because I, I'm so far gone at this point that I know I can't stop. And if, if anybody thinks that I'm going to believe in God, that somehow um, just turning it over to Santa Claus is somehow going to make addiction go away, um, th- there's only one solution and um, you know I know that uh, you've been really real on your uh, on your podcast about uh, especially first responders and like addiction and mm-hmm. mental health and it all goes hand in hand and, and you use the word stigma you know who does a cop reach out to when they're, when they have got all of this going on we're supposed to be the ones that have it all together and People um, come to um, us. so I was
0: <laughs> not the other way around.
1: Exactly, exactly, and um, it's just it's not something that's really commonly talked about in law enforcement. You know, if anything, um, you might hear like so in Florida we have the uh, the Baker Act, which is an involuntary assessment uh, for a mental health related like crisis. Um, you might hear that an officer had an incident. And, you know, the guys in the locker room might be joking around about, you know, hey, so and so is on the rubber gun squad. They took his gun away because, uh, you know, Baker Act, he couldn't, whatever. And, um, you know, <laughs> we cops, we can kind of be kind of brash and hard on each other. Now, I mean, I know that deep down there, there's a lot of love in, in, in the brotherhood. And, you know, we would never want anybody to, you know, to go to those low points. But um, there is a tremendous amount of stigma. Um, both with mental health and addiction and addiction and mental health often go hand in hand. So I was placed in this, just this real horrible position of I either have to kill myself or I have to go to treatment. And um, I can't tell you how heavy that phone was to call my mom and, uh, and say, I have to go to treatment. And uh, I think, she had been expecting that call for a long time and was just kind of waiting for that readiness. And, uh, the second phone call was probably, you know, the, the one that we all dread in law enforcement. And that was, um, to my captain, which is the number two guy at that agency. And I said, I, I have a drinking problem and I, I can't stop. I've tried stopping. I've tried going to meetings. I've tried everything. And, uh, you know, drinking is it's so prevalent in law enforcement he's like you know what do you mean like you had a couple too many i was like no man like i had too many for like 15 years and like and uh as soon as the light bulb clicked on because like all i can think about is how is this going to affect my career what about this what about this and what are the guys going to think what if there's gossip what if people find out and his only response was like oh well you know we got it covered, man. You know, we just want you to be be better. Mm-hmm. And uh, the shifts were short, but no one had a single clue why I needed a month of leave. Um, sure, you know, rumors are rampant. Is it this? Is it this? Is it an internal affairs investigation? But um, the administration kept it pretty tight-lipped, and that was pretty impressive. But um, So I came back from treatment. I'm back on the road as a supervisor on day shift um, under a lot of lot of scrutiny now, a lot of eyes on Brian and what's going to happen. You know, it's, uh, you know, because the administration knows what's going on. And um, 60 days sober, uh, more headlines came out and uh, the chief had pulled me into her office. She took my stripes. I was demoted. I was sent to... I was uh, sent back to patrol, uh, skipped investigations, do not collect uh, $200, right back to the beginning, where I was put at an intersection at a school to count if kids had bicycle helmets on or not. So it was, like, absolutely humiliating. And um, so uh, the chief lets me know, this nightmare will continue until you leave and uh it was it was upon this ugliness and you know i'm sparing a lot of details just for brevity but um it was upon all of this ugliness that um that night i went home and i was faced with this uh well so i went to a meeting um because i was terrified that i was going to relapse but i knew that where i had been and the amount of pain that i was living in that even though this was bad, that was my past was worse. <clears throat> so I went to a meeting, and I can remember, uh, you know, it's like 8.30 p.m. meeting. In just total desperation, there was like three people in the room, and I said, what do I do? And uh, someone said, you need to reach out to somebody and be helpful to somebody else. Now, this is like where the story starts getting awesome, because I had never done that before. So I did just that. I called someone not to not to complain about my situation, but just to say, hey, what's going on in your life? And it just so happened to be that he was a veteran who was thinking about what his AR-15 would taste like. And we had a tremendous conversation that who knows if it saved his life that night. Um, but uh, this guy was also struggling with PTSD, uh, depression, alcohol uh, use disorder, you know, just a a host of things. And um, it was a great conversation. And uh, that was the night that uh, I prayed um, the third step prayer. Now, I didn't know who or what I believed in or if I even believed in God. At that point, I don't think I did. But I knew that me trying to run the show was not working. That every time that I was doing this, I was burning my life to the ground. It was nothing but consequences. I was always trying to force my way, and it wasn't ever working. And um, so it was the first time that I had ever uh, said a prayer, you know, in my own words of, like, help me get out of the way. Because clearly my way is not working, and I don't even know what your way is or who you are, but I just know that I'm not the center. I just know that my way's not isn't working. And um the very next day I was asked to resign. And um I was like <laughs> okay, so I pray and this is the solution is like this is my identity. I don't have a plan B. I don't know how to fix cars. I don't have HVAC. I don't have I can't build anything. I don't have any experience other than law enforcement. No plan B. And, uh, you know, I talked about how I was highly anxious, and I cannot explain this crazy spirit of peace that washed over me as I went in and turned in all of my gear and drove out as a civilian with no police or authority powers and just a regular Joe, and uh, I had nothing but peace. I wasn't even angry at the situation. It was at where on earth could could peace like this have come from. And um, so um, I worked the steps and uh, and I worked them the same way that somebody who is dying would do the work because I was absolutely convinced that relapse was not an option and that if I missed any part of any of this that it was going to take me back to square one, which was, you know, scary from from where I had come from. And um, so I had a tremendous amount of, uh, of bad PR that was following me. I, um, and uh, I, I applied for jobs for three or four months. And uh, Mike, I couldn't get jobs um, scraping barnacles off of the bottom of boats, washing windows. No place would hire me. And I was so discouraged. But I kept praying and it was for the first time that I wasn't telling God or spirit of the universe, ho- however you choose to pray. Um, I, I wasn't saying, I really need this. I really need this. Because the history of my prayers had always been, I really screwed this up and I need <laughs> I need to get out of this. And often that didn't happen. And then I got angry at God. Or I was like, there's your proof that there's no God. No God would allow this to happen. But... Um, I I learned how to reframe this prayer that it was no more about let this line up. I really need this job. It was just help me have patience until your will is done and until so that I can just stay out of my own way so that you can open up all the right doors. And and the rest, it was effortless um, as long as I could stay out of the way. And I'm not saying that that was – that it was easy to have patience, but I learned that patience through that process, and I continued that prayer. And, um, you know, I uh, I came to believe in a higher power that I feel comfortable um, calling God, but, you know, that, that was, it was quite a journey for me. So if the word God uh, is, is off-putting for you, you know, take it with a grain of salt, take what you like and leave the rest. But all of a sudden... All of the right doors started opening up. So I got this career um, working as a child protective investigator. That is not something that I would have ever thought, had, thought of in a million years to do. I had no interest in it. And this this thought just popped into my brain. Where? Why? Why this agency that just said, apply here? And I did, and I got hired right away. And it opened the door to mental health and it was a great transition for me because I still had like that state authority. I was still doing investigate uh, investigative work, but now I was doing it more with a lens of these are parents and these are families that need help. They need access to treatment, um, as opposed to, you know, this is somebody that needs to go to jail. This is somebody that I need to bring to justice and um none of this is an overnight matter right so i stayed at that at that position um for a year and uh as as it would have it um this higher power put my supervisor at that agency was an ex-cop who guided that process from being a cop to being in mental health and um You know, Another thing for me is I have a history of getting complacent, that when things are okay-ish, not real happy with it, but it's like it's working and it's paying the bills, that I'll just kind of do it. And uh, I probably would have gotten complacent there, but I believe that there was a a bigger, better plan for me. So um, once again, the universe or God or however you want to look at it allowed life to get kind of unmanageable at that position to gently – Just like I was kind of pushed out of law enforcement once I was willing to surrender and get out of my own way, once again, um, I was kind of pushed like, yeah, you've done your time here and it's on to the next thing. So it just so happens that I get this random email about an open house for this graduate school program online. I'm like, why? Sure, why not? I'll just attend this thing. And just it all just kept falling into place who would have ever thought now i didn't think i would ever go back for a masters degree ever i never would have thought that i'd be in the opposite chair in an office you know 3 years ago i had been the one in, in <laughs> the client in the chair that's like i just want to be happy why can't i stop drinking why can't i get my life together why can't why am i you know living so opposite to all my values why can't i stop and um to now to to be the one that's helping other people figure that stuff out it's just it's absolutely incredible but uh who would have ever guessed you know that that not only would i get into this program but that i would excel so well that i'd become the cohort representative Mm -hmm. that um it's just—it's just like one thing after another. They all just started falling into place, and um, so here's some other just like crazy things that that started happening. Um, a when it came time to look for placements for clinical stuff for the graduate school, um, I had let a few people let me know like this is going to be very challenging in this area of Naples just because of like Florida licensure and. Other students that have gone through this have had some problems. This is, it's not going to be an easy road. Well, how about this? Um, The person that I interviewed with for my first placement was an addiction tech at the place where I got sober. What are the chances? And then the the person that I'm at my site now, that's my supervisor, was a liaison that I had worked with um, when I was a child protective investigator. It's like, are these coincidence coincidences? I don't know. Um, but it, boy, it just seems like there's been so many coincidences that as long as Brian can stay out of Brian's own way, um, things align the way that they're supposed to be, or even better than I would have ever imagined if I had been the one in management trying to do the planning. Mm. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know what the future holds for me. But um, here's what I do know: is that when I'm when I try to be in control and when I try to run everything, uh, it's usually a disastrous result, or it's definitely not as favorable um, as it would have been um, if if I could have gotten out of the way. And uh, you know, sobriety has not been easy but it has been tremendously rewarding and that's where staying connected with a program has just been um so 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 important so in in my time of getting sober i was in an internal affairs investigation i was asked to resign i was i was demoted i was unemployed i was unemployable um i uh, let's see, I went through the end of a relationship that uh, someone that I thought I was going to marry, I was planning on adopting kids with, having a family with, like just one one storm after another. But I can say with honest truth, I have never, ever, ever once been thirsty through any of that because working a program has always given me through the storm and the ability to ride through the storm up and down the waves and uh, and the storms pass and um, a tremendous amount of strengthening has come through a lot of hardship in recovery Um, but uh, so what does recovery look like for me today Um, you know it's it's really simple (laughs) rule number one uh, probably common sense, right? No matter what, I'm not going to have a drink today. Um, easy peasy. Um, instead, I need a solution since I'm taking something out. For me, that solution is I wake up and I connect with my higher power. Um, you can call it prayer, meditation, whatever you choose to. I read some spiritual literature, um, which could be. Uh, Sometimes for me, it's biblical. Sometimes it comes from 12-step recovery type stuff. And uh, I, I meditate on it. I apply it to the day. How is this, you know, even if it's something I've read 10 times, now I've got new eyes from new experiences, uh, over, you know, every year. I go to a meeting. Um, I'm not perfect. I'd say for the first two or so years, I hit a meeting seven days a week without fail. Um, now, it's probably five, maybe six, but I definitely make an effort to, uh, to do that. I talk to others in the program every day that I must. Um, one, two people on the phone, or even if it's just a, a text check-in, I stay plugged in and, uh, and I do some service or step work. And um, we know that there is no cure for addiction, but, um, but I just laid out has been the treatment for me. You know, I recognize that I wake up every day with untreated alcoholism. Um, but if I do those things, um, I've been stacking a lot of 24s and as long as I can stay out of my own way, um, the universe or God, higher power has, uh, has just unfolded one miracle after another, uh, in my life. And, uh, And, you know, and there's been a, a, quite a transformation too, because, um, people who knew me from my law enforcement career, now this is a result of, of the step work and the change that happens in recovery. But, you know, I was very much a, you know, a brash, um, police sergeant and detective and, you know, people that, that don't know that chapter of me, they're like, I can't even imagine it. It's just, it's you're so calm and you're like very even keel. And, uh, you know, no, I was very much what we think of when we think of, uh, you know, a a police officer, you know, like commands and command presence and, you know, barking orders. And this is the way it's going to be. And, um, you know, when I was in law enforcement, I hate to say, but, you know, my compassion was kind of, um, limited. I looked at a lot of situations, very black and white, and I didn't really care what the surrounding circumstance was. Either you did it or you didn't. Um, And you're going to jail and I don't care what your story is, you know, you're going and that's it. And um, now as we've shifted to mental health, um, there's certainly not that I don't think that people should be held accountable. Um, You know, that, that is not the case at all, but I'm definitely able to look at it through a new lens, especially when you start looking at, you know, a fleeing and eluding case, like, man, that's something that any of us would be, that's like really juicy if we're in law enforcement, right? Because it's like, how dare they, they're challenging me and my authority. But like, when I look at that through the lens now of this is a person with like mental health issues and addiction on top of it, like, yeah, that makes sense you know, that they're afraid or they've had other bad experiences with the police. Like I'm not saying that this person shouldn't be held accountable. I absolutely believe in accountability, but to be able to see that full picture, um, you know, you wouldn't see me ripping somebody out of a car and screaming at them and everything else. It's going to be, uh, you know, man, you're sick, buddy. But we, we, <laughs> if, uh, if somebody like me can turn it around, there's hope for anybody. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's uh, that's my Reader's Digest version.
0: Wow, uh, that's a that's a really uh, just a powerful story, and I appreciate you sharing that. And let me just take a break real quick. Um, we're going to talk about our sponsor, and then I've got some follow ups for you if you don't mind. You bet. Okay. Um, So this episode is sponsored by FHE Health. FHE Health has been providing life-changing behavioral health services for more than 20 years, and they treat substance abuse and mental health disorders in an individualized and comprehensive approach. Recognizing the specialized treatment needs of the first responder community, they've created Shatterproof, a dedicated program for law enforcement, fire rescue, and similar communities to receive treatment among peers. They're experienced in providing privacy and working with unions for employment. FHE Health is committed to providing the best care experience for our patients, for their families, for our community. So learn more at FHEHealth.com. So, Brian, you talked about, you know, being in law enforcement and how difficult that is. And and so there's a number of struggles that that you had. And um, law enforcement wasn't the only Area that you are struggling with. I mean, uh, law enforcement is an area that makes it difficult because you know, step one of a twelve-step program is um, I'm powerless over alcohol. My life has become unmanageable, and that powerlessness part. I mean, that that what do you mean I'm powerless? I have to, you know, I can't will myself through something. I can't uh, conquer this this thing that I'm facing, and that I find in myself and people that I work with now that that concept of the powerlessness or I, everybody struggles with that, but it seems like this community in particular, it's very difficult. Uh, would you agree with that? And, and if so, uh, how did you, how did you address that part of it?
1: Absolutely. Um, in fact, you know, I think that like steps one and three of 12 step stuff is particularly challenging for, for law enforcement um or you know for first responders because like we're taught from the beginning in academies and stuff like that that no matter what you don't surrender you don't stop you don't stop um and so to have to challenge that it's like it went against the core of everything that was my identity and um and you know as far as uh, the first step you know sure i knew um Knew my use was problematic for a long time. <laughs> you know, dogs knew it, but um, was it unmanageable? No, man, I got this. I'm still going to work. I'm still, I'm still a police sergeant. I've still got it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it uh, it took a lot of what I like to refer to as uh, field research and demolition. Like, how many times am I going to wake up? with consequences before something finally clicks. Like, you know, at what point is bottom? You know, we said like some people bottom is a scratch on the Rolex. And for some people it's, you know, almost being dead a third time. And for me, I hadn't lost everything. You know, I'm a, a quote unquote, um, high bottom alcoholic, but, uh, it was certainly bad enough that I had, uh, I had created enough emotional pain and enough um, damage in relationships. And, um, you know, especially, you know, nothing worse, I think, than, um, than not having a recollection of what you've done and, like, seeing that look on people's faces that they're just like, again, again, you did it. And, you know, that's just... It might take several years... Before you finally get to the point that you just say, I cannot, I cannot keep on this life one more day. I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I can't do this one more day.
0: Mm -hmm. And the scary part is that at that point, even you want to stop. It's not even just the people around you with those looks on their faces. It's you. I mean, right. I shouldn't put words in your mouth, but you wanted to stop. You knew that it needed to stop at that point. And that's the scary part, isn't it?
1: Definitely. And so, um, you know, that's the other thing that I think is really important to be talked about is that, you know, so I was now I'm at a point of willingness, but like I'm so sick that I need treatment. It's not just enough to send me to a meeting an hour a day. You know, when you get to a certain point, um, you know, alcohol can affect your neurochemistry to the point that for you to just stop, you know, you need detox. You need. You're at risk of, of seizures of all sorts of stuff, and and you really need a medically supervised, um, detoxification. And and that's certainly where I was at. Um, that is not something that I could have done, um, alone. So you know, if that resonates for for anybody out there that's hearing that, you know, if, if to thine own self be true, you know, if you know that that you're getting to that point that you're getting kind of shaky and that you're having a hard time um, functioning without it. It's it's been a long time that you can even think of that. It's been more than a day that you've gone without drinking. Um, You know, there's, there's, there's a good chance that you might have to do that with some medical help. Yeah. And uh, and, you know, and that's okay.
0: Well, in fact, it's, it's advisable um, because many of the listeners may not realize that you can die from alcohol withdrawal. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't understand that if you're getting to the point to where you're having a drink to just to function and be normal then it's likely that you're in that category where you need to be medically walked down medically detoxed from from alcohol. Right. Yeah, you know, and that's that's where I was at the end it sounds like that's where you were at the end and you know, definitely be very very um I would highly advance, advise against just withdrawing from alcohol on your own um, you know get seek medical treatment on that because like I say, it can be very, very dangerous. And um, you know, Brian, I really appreciate your story because there's so so much that's there and uh, you know, you also talk about the the struggling with the higher part, higher power part of all this. and what's funny that you know where I work, the treatment center that I'm uh, interning at right now, We have patients that are in that situation, you know, they're uh, near death experiences or they, you know, they were found face down somewhere and, you know, they come into treatment and within a day or two, we're talking to them and they struggle with uh, this idea of a higher power, and it's amazing. And I, yeah, you know, I kind of somewhat joke with him. I go, "Let me get this straight. You know, a couple of days ago, you were on the brink of death, and now you're, you know, all of a sudden, you're a theologian, and you, your biggest issue is mm-hmm. that you're struggling with the idea of God. Is if that's really the, is <laughs> though that's the biggest issue you're facing right now? Uh, but, but people really get wrapped around the axle with that, and and mm-hmm. you, it sounds like you did to a certain degree as well. But then you were able to work through that. Um, How important do you think the idea of a higher power is? And, uh, you know, for those that are struggling with that issue and listening to this program, what advice can you give someone that really struggles with the, you know, it's funny, we weren't thinking about God at all or the concept of a higher power, and now it's like the biggest issue to us. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, right, definitely. So um, for me... I, I love the way that the second step was worded that it's came to believe and you know I think that for some people that might that might be a long process. you could still start to work the, you know another step you can start turning it over um, your, your your life and your will or you, to, over to uh, the concept of God as you understand um, God whatever that is but for me uh, at the beginning, I was at least able to get on board with the thought of, well, a group of people that I'm in treatment with being run by a clinician who is trained in this is definitely a higher power than Brian. And that is perfect as a starting point. As long as you realize you alone in the driver's seat is not working. And for some people, that might take several years of research and demolition. But once you get to that point that me driving is not working, there has to be something else. Um, You know, yes, absolutely. The God, that can be a very uh, not palatable word for for many of us. And it certainly was for me uh, in the beginning. You know, at the beginning, I had shared, you know, if the choice is, is either a spiritual solution or drinking myself to death, I choose uh, drinking myself to death or suicide because I, I didn't see a spiritual solution being possible. But it started with the idea of group of drunks or good orderly direction it could be great outdoors or, you know, however you choose. I All I knew was something bigger than me has to help me. Me trying to do this on my own clearly has not been working.
0: Yeah. Very well said. And then you talked about the coincidences too. And it's funny, uh, nearly everybody I talk to in recovery talks about how the further along in recovery they are, the more they start seeing patterns of our higher power or whatever it is, the universe, whatever you want to, you know, however you want to term that. It, It seems like things just start to fall in place. And I love how you say that you really just started asking for patience and patience and understanding what the will of your life is, because we don't always know what that will is, right? And and being open, willingness, willingness is another part of recovery, just being willing to just accept that there is a plan for my life. And I don't always know what that plan is. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that?
1: Absolutely. And um, so, you know, I have clients that will ask something similar, um, you know, what exactly is God's will? And I'm like, well, we can certainly start with what we know God's will is not. And that would be for me to drink a liter of vodka a day. You know, we can can get that one right off the table. And it seems like as long as we use a starting point like that and also Brian, not in the driver's seat or in the passenger seat or preferably even in the back seat. You know, if I should be anywhere, I should be in the trunk just (laughs) along for the ride. Um, Then things go pretty, pretty darn smoothly. So, um, you know, it's I don't know what uh, what what all the cards hold for me. But um, I can tell you that as a result of working those steps. And, you know, the, the literature says painstakingly, you know, like that, that if you really, really, really do the work, really do the work, um, I can tell you even though I don't know what the future is, I have a lot of peace about it. Um, and you know, for someone that's a high anxiety person like me to be able to, to have that kind of faith to just go, I don't know what it is, but, I know that it's going to be good and, mm-hmm. and that, it, that I'm not just telling myself that or trying to encourage myself like an affirmation in the mirror, but that I really know that because, you know, I got to that point because um, of faithfulness, you know, I, I don't want to try to make it too sp- too spiritual, but like, you know, I'm results driven. And when I've seen that the results are consistent, it, it deepened my faith that, like, yeah, as long as I stay out of the driver's seat, it just all seems to be really good.
0: Mm-hmm. So as you sit here now and you work through your program, as far as you can tell, or let me ask you, what is your desire on, in the path that you're on now? You're you're in a, a graduate program. You're working towards licensure. What is it that you want to do with this?
1: See, uh, that's so tough, because when I... Um, when I started in here, I thought, all I want to do is work with first responders because mm-hmm. we're such a unique group and uh, and hard to reach, you know, and it kind of like, it takes someone who's really been there in the trenches and knows what it's like to be on the opposite side of mm-hmm. all the scrutiny with the public and everything else. But, um, and then I thought, you know, I really want to work in addiction because I'm really passionate about addiction. But um as God has kind of directed me now more towards a I've been working with clients with severe persistent mental illness so the ones that have you know a lot of uh, the hallucinations and voices and um, delusions and stuff like that and so it's just like I don't know where I'm gonna end up but I just know that I'm gonna be useful and I'm really excited about that so um Hopefully I can continue to work with first responders. I'm very passionate about first responders. Coppers are real close to my heart. But um, you know, I'm open that wherever wherever the universe decides that the doors are gonna open and I'm I'm gonna put, I'm not gonna try to force my will. Like, no, I will work with cops, I will work with PTSD. You know, water finds its own level and, and I'm gonna just I'm going to end up drifting to where I'm supposed to be.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, and that's a it's a great outlook. And I love that line: "Water finds its own level; um, things will take care of it itself." And um, that's that's a really good way of describing how you stay in the present, you know, in the moment, focusing on where you are right now, and just being open to how you're being guided. And I think that people that don't understand recovery. Those that are struggling with recovery—that's a part of it, right? We catastrophize the future. We uh, try to mm-hmm. force things as opposed to um, allowing things. You know, we we prepare. You know, we do the best that we can every day, and we do the we, the best we can to prepare ourselves professionally, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all those different things, physically even. But we have to just be willing to just follow the guidance and follow where we're directed to go. And and that's part of the serenity that we have. Because I as I listen to you now, I really get a sense of serenity about where you are, who you are, and the situation that you're you're in. And uh sounds like you've come a long, long way from where you started.
1: I I'll tell you what, um, people who haven't seen me in few year in a few years, they're they're just like they can't believe it. Oh, so yeah, here's here's another one of those uh, know, God moments or those just interesting connections. So I had connected with a therapist that um, that I was seeing when I was in active addiction and I was trying to get my stuff together and uh, I connected with her um, several years sober and in this master's program and uh, she was blown away. She was like, I can't even believe that you're the same person because it just it hurt my heart how hopeless you were and you're like you're conquering life right now and i'm like it's it's not me like literally the only thing i do is just try to stay out of my own way <laughs> and and don't drink and that's it and you know the rest has just been um has it, it it's been the victory of 12 step fellowship and And the tremendous, the people that you meet there, you know, that, that I just keep all the right people just keep popping into my path. You know, like you said, I, um, it's, it's hard to meet other people that have any kind of a law enforcement perspective, uh, with counseling and, you know, what are the chances? What are the chances in as big as the United States that I'm, um, in a program with somebody that, you know, has gone through, you know, so much of a uh, similar story and, uh, you know, it's just, there's no coincidences, man. It's just, it's, it's incredible. No, it's
0: incredible. that's why I was excited when I saw you in the program and I said, yay, somebody like me. Because <laughs> right. there there just aren't many, you know, people like us. And, and a lot of that is the stigma, uh, which we're, we're working on very hard, you know, to eradicate. And that's one of the purposes of this of this uh, podcast is to destigmatize, you know, uh, recovery, and let people know that it, is, in fact, is possible, and you can live life without alcohol. In fact, your life uh, will get better. It can't not get better; it has to get better, and and there is hope. and And if you are listening to this podcast, and you are somebody that's struggling, just know that you can get well. And I know, um, in my life, one of the few things I did right early on, and that was continue to show up, even even when I was still drinking, I was still going to meetings and just just show up. You just keep showing up and showing up, and hopefully the plant, you know, the seeds will be planted and eventually they will take root. Uh, but you can't give up. You just can't give up. And I love how you say that. You know, sometimes when you just get out of your own way, things will happen because we oftentimes, uh, I in fact, I won't even say often. I, I think that all of us that struggle with this we are our own biggest enemies.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely.
0: We do more harm to ourselves than anybody else does to us, that's for sure. Right.
1: Totally agree.
0: So, Brian, for the, the last few moments of uh, the program here, um, just a key takeaway, if you, just what one thing would you say to anybody listening right now that is struggling? Just, uh, if you just have one bit of advice, what can you give that person?
1: Boy, um, it, it's not all going to be done overnight.
0: No.
1: And um, just keep coming. That was probably the most important thing that I yeah. heard because I left so many meetings like angry at the stuff that I heard, and, and, and people just kept saying, just keep coming, just keep coming, just keep coming, and I did. And uh, And like you said, the seeds were planted, and uh, my heart was really closed off to those seeds for a long time. But you know, a couple of them did take take root, and um, I, I can't—it's—it I can't even explain how my life went from barely surviving to to thriving in every aspect, and how how beautiful my life became from being a former disaster, and that just recovery is possible. Um, that hope is just so critical. And, uh, and so um, I hope that someone is inspired um, by that story that, uh, you know, definitely sparing a lot of details, but I am a former dumpster fire. And if, uh, <laughs> if, if, re- if recovery is possible for, for a mess like me, it's possible for anybody. I promise you that.
0: Oh, that that is so true. and, what a great message! And Brian, I really, really appreciate you uh, coming coming on the show and sharing your story with us. And uh, I'm sure we can have a number of episodes because in in your story, there's so many different things to talk about, so many different angles to approach this at. And I think that's true of, of everyone. And um, you know, I really really appreciate you coming on. So thank you f- for that.
1: Thank you, Mike. Thanks for uh, thanks for you know giving. My program, a platform. Like I said, it's it's really not a Brian victory. It's that I got out of the way, and that uh, the some some amazing people showed me how to live. Yeah, so it's their it's their victory, not mine.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and folks, it does work. It really does. And so this episode has been sponsored by FHE Health. According to SAMHSA, first responders are thirty percent more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. And FHE Health specializes in getting first responders better and cleared for duty. So find out more at FHEHealth.com. And guys, you know, like we always like to say, I don't represent any group and neither does Brian. Uh, we, we're we talking about different groups, but we don't represent any of these groups. We, we're just we're just talking about our own experience, and we don't represent anyone other than ourselves. And our only purpose in giving all of this information is to share with you what we've done because it it's helped us, and maybe it'll help you too. So if we've said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then just discard it. But you know what? Try to take in information that you can use for yourself and use it to help others as well because, you know what, that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way. And we help to impart that knowledge that we've gained to help others as well. And so with that, please visit my Facebook page, which is Recovery is Possible, and our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And let me know how I'm doing. And let me know if there's a topic that you're interested in hearing about, because we'd love to hear from you. So reach out to us and let us know if there's that topic that you want to hear about. Brian Greneman, thank you again for joining us. And we will see you next time. You take care of yourselves. Bye.